The Australian Defence Magazine podcast. Serving the business of defence. With Grant McHeron. Welcome, folks, to QuickCast One from Indo-Pacific 2023. We're on the floor of the trade show, where earlier this morning, the Acting Prime Minister and Minister for Defence, the Honourable Richard Marles MP, was joined by Vice Admiral Mark Hammond, Chief of Navy, to provide answers to journalist questions on a number of topics at the opening of the show. We were there, and we recorded this information for you. Well, it's fantastic to be here at Indo-Pac 23. This is the largest Indo-Pac since the establishment of Indo-Pac here in Sydney back in the year 2000. It says a lot about uh, the way in which AMBA, a great Geelong not-for-profit, has organised uh, this event over the years. We've got more than 800 uh, defence industry companies who are present, representatives from more than 40 navies around the world, more than 20 chiefs of navy who are here. And this is happening at a hugely consequential moment in global affairs. Obviously the tragedy that is unfolding in Gaza does remind us about the fragility of peace. We still see uh, the conflict in Ukraine, which is an affront by Russia to the global rules-based order. And we see that order under pressure right around the world uh, and here in the Indo-Pacific. This is also happening at a critically important moment in terms of Australia's defence thinking, in terms of Australia's naval thinking. Obviously this year we announced the means by which Australia would acquire a nuclear-powered submarine capability. Through the course of this year we've had the surface fleet review which is now in the hands of government and we're in the process right now of formulating our response to that review which will come out uh, in the first couple of months of next year. And so today's uh, expo and today's conference is happening at a really significant moment uh, in our own deliberations. Uh, I might hand over to Vice Admiral Hammond. It's an absolute privilege uh, to be here hosting uh, Indo-PAC 2023 uh, with AMDA, the 13th iteration of this exposition uh, and our own Sea Power Conference. Uh, it's a great opportunity for us to showcase Australia, uh, the beautiful uh, confines of Sydney Harbour, uh, but also the men and women of the Royal Australian Navy uh, and our colleagues in the Australian Defence Force and the Australian uh, Defence Industry. Uh, it's a great opportunity to explore uh, the future of maritime warfare and the future of sea power through the lens of those more than 800 industry exhibitors uh, here this week. So it's an absolute privilege. I'm really excited about the conversations we're going to have uh, and about some of the emerging technologies we're going to be introduced to over the next few days. Chief, you've got over 40 of your counterparts here. Um, relations appear to be warming with China. Why is the PLA not here? Sandra. At this stage, we don't have a Navy-to-Navy relationship with the PLA Navy. Okay. Um, AUKUS is obviously a key part of the deliberations. Can I ask about the $4.7 billion that we're contributing to the US submarine base? Uh, when do those payments start to happen, and how was that figure arrived at? 
Well, the contributions that we are making to the US was a matter of uh, negotiation with the US in the process which led up to the announcement in March. Um, it is about uplifting uh, United States industrial capability so that they can have a greater production rate uh, of Virginia-class submarines, but more significantly that they can do greater sustainment to get a greater availability rate of their Virginia-class submarines, which enables them to provide us with the Virginias in the first part of the 2030s. Um, so that uh, is, is the basis on which that has happened. I, of course, reiterate that the vast bulk of the industrial investment that the government will be making will be right here in Australia and specifically at Osborne in Adelaide. Uh, the answer to the question as to when uh, is a function of the processes that are happening in the United States right now. I was in uh, the US last week. Uh, there is legislation which is going through uh, the US Congress as we speak, legislation which uh, goes to uh, reducing the uh, export control regime as it applies between Australia uh, and America, legislation which will enable, en enable the sale of the Virginias, but importantly legislation which will enable the provision of the Australian contribution to the American industrial uplift. Uh, the US Congressional Budget Office <coughs> pardon me, has factored in $3 billion from Australia in 2025. Does that sound consistent? The timing of that is, is, is a matter that we are working through with the United States, but as I say, the, uh, the process by which this will happen can't begin until the legislation passes the US Congress. Australia and the US have tried to um, ease up ITAR previously, but more than a decade ago, and not much happened. Why is it going to be different this time? Well, it's a really good question, and, and I think um, you, you're right that this has been a long-held uh, aspiration for Australian defence industry because it will dramatically change uh, our access to the US and the ease with which we can exchange technology. Uh, why is it going to be different now? Uh, I mean, the answer to that really, I guess, lies in AUKUS. I mean, I, I do think the relationship between Australia, the United States and the United Kingdom has taken this conversation to a different level, but in a practical sense, we now have this in front of the Congress. That's never happened before. I mean, the legislation which will give effect to the liberalisation of, of export restrictions in, res in respect of Australia and the transfer of information is in front of the Congress as we speak. Now, last week I met representatives uh, of the US Senate. Uh, I think I've met the better part of 10 US senators who are central to this process. Uh, we very much respect the process, which still has to play out, but there was an overwhelming sense of bipartisan support, both for the alliance with Australia, but for the proposition that we need to be creating a seamless defence industrial base between Australia, the United States and the United Kingdom. And so uh, we are um, as hopeful as we've ever been that, that we really are on, on the verge of something which is very different. Minister, the former Army Chief Peter Lay says the Albanese government is ripping the heart out of defence with its recent decisions. What's your response? Uh, I will answer that, just, yep. but, but can I, are there any other questions that we... Yeah, that people have of Navy recruitment, uh, how does this expo flow into a shortfall that, um, and challenges that the Navy are facing to, to fill a you know, significant gap there? Uh, well, I, I will throw to, the, um, to Mark for that. Um, but I think one of the, uh, I mean, just an obvious point to make up front in, in, in relation to that, this is um, a, a really wonderful uh, display 
of what service uh, in the Royal Australian Navy has to offer. Um, you know, we, we have the, the, the best uh, presentation of Australian sea power on display here. Uh, and you know, walking around this uh, expo over the next three days will certainly be enough, I think, to get a whole lot of people's blood flowing about the prospect of a career in the Royal Australian Navy. But thank Admiral Hammond. Prime Minister. Uh, thank you, that's a really good question. Uh, let me start at the beginning, pre-COVID. Our separation rate in Navy was uh, in the low 6% uh, and every single intake to, to Navy was oversubscribed. Uh, we've emerged from the pandemic into a different workforce environment. Uh, we're almost at total employment uh, in this nation, which means that there is a competition for talent. Uh, and whilst the separation rate is still low, it's only 8.5% uh, and coming down, the challenge in front of us is to uh, explain to young Australians in particular the opportunities of service in the Royal Australian Navy. We've just uh, con conducted a Navy and Shipbuilding Jobs Expo in Adelaide over the weekend uh, with a submarine and a frigate alongside. Uh, we've had enormous interest. Uh, in fact, the submarine recruiting uh, team in particular was overwhelmed uh, for, for the few days that they were there. Mm. I think we've got a good story and a good offer. Uh, we're an employer that underwrites the cost of living for our employees and we pay them to see the world. Uh, so that's my intent, is to put the Navy in front of the nation to uh, explain the opportunities of service in the Royal Australian Navy and to strengthen the teams. Uh, frankly, I think we've got a good story to tell and I encourage you to, to, to talk to some of our sales and officers here this Admiral, there's been discussion about uh, redoing the decks of the Canberra class to handle F-35. Uh, is this a pipe dream? Uh, is it possible? Is it something you're discussing? It's not something I'm looking at. Thank you. Regarding AUKUS, um, you mentioned some of the, the international components in terms of U.S. funding legislation. Just from a domestic standpoint, since it's been announced, what have been some of the areas that Australia's been finding are going to be the difficult aspects to work domestically, whether it's building the supply chain, facilities, workforce? Um, again, where do you think you're, you're going to see the, the biggest difficulties independent of whatever happens with you know US and the UK in terms of funding or legislation? Uh, th this will be one of the most significant industry endeavours in, in our country's history, uh, getting onto the horse of being able to uh, produce, actually manufacture um, a nuclear-powered submarine is a massive endeavour. Uh, these are the most complex machines known to humanity. So there is a significant industrial uplift. Uh, I, I think you know, there's a huge challenge in terms of workforce. I think that is right. Um, we're very mindful of that. Um, it's why we are establishing an academy at the uh, at the Osborne Naval Shipyards, which will be focused on that trade level skill uh, to make sure that we are growing that part of the workforce. It's why we are funding 4,000 additional university places specifically in respect of disciplines which will go into uh, the uh, production of uh, nuclear-powered submarines in this country. Uh, I, you know, I think that is going to be the most critical challenge that we face. Having said that, uh, I feel confident that we can do that. Um, it, there's obviously uh, a lot that we need to be doing in terms of developing the physical infrastructure, both at Osborne in terms of allowing ourselves to 
generate that production line which will manufacture the submarines but also at, uh, in Western Australia at HMS Stirling so that we can begin hosting nuclear powered submarines as we are already doing but prepare ourselves for the submarine rotation which will happen later in this decade with uh, the United States and the United Kingdom and ultimately the operation of our own Australian flagged Virginia class submarines in the first part of next decade. Um, again, and there's much to do I might say in, re in respect of all of that in working with both the South Australian and the Western Australian governments. But you know, we couldn't want for better partners with them uh, and we couldn't want for better partners with the education sector and indeed with our international partners, the US and the UK, in, in, in helping us walk down this path. Mark, did you want to? Thank you, Prime Minister. Uh, first thing I'd say that the submarine program is a strategic program, it's a strategic capability. So it needs a strategic priority, strategic resourcing, uh, and the biggest challenge I think for our nation is strategic patience. Uh, I recall the, the, the Collins submarine program. We have built submarines in this nation before. Uh, we are going to build another submarine. This one will have a different propulsion system. The, we're not going to build the nuclear reactor ourselves. It will be built for us. It will be installed in the submarines in Adelaide. Uh, so whilst uh, we're absolutely transparent uh, about uh, and uh, embracing all of the challenges that come with this program, uh, let's not lose sight of the fact that we have done this before. This is on a different scale, I acknowledge, a slightly different challenge. Uh, but the biggest thing is uh, the strategic patience part. We will make progress. Uh, it will be incremental, but it will also be uh, quite foundational. Uh, and ultimately, it's kind of ironic here, I remember being the, uh, the navigating officer doing first-of-class trials in HMAS Collins, uh, and I remember all the bad press about the Collins program back in the day, and I've, I've deployed on these things throughout the Indo-Pacific. They are the best conventional submarine on the planet. And I actually have people writing to me now saying, I wish we'd built more. So, uh, notwithstanding all of the challenges that, that we, we quite often talk about, uh, I think it's important to, to derive some confidence from where we've been in the past and, and have some confidence in Australian industry and our partners here. I'm really excited about the challenges that lie here. Mr Miles, you've, uh, as you said, it's a fantastic exhibition downstairs. Is it akin to taking kids to a toy shop and having an empty wallet though? I mean, when will the, the government look at lifting the budget for defence as the ADF has been screaming out for you to do? Uh, so I might, it's kind of in the same vein as the other questions, so I, I will answer it, um, but uh, if, uh, there are other questions. Yeah, yeah, I've got with, with, yeah, But with, sure. for Mark? Or, or yeah, yeah, another, another August one, if I will come at that, May. Um, to get the second-hand Virginia-class submarines, the US has made it clear they have to increase their rate of production to two plus. Um, the obvious question is, what if they can't? Or what if it's indefinitely delayed? Uh, th this is a... Um, a strategic partnership between um, ourselves, the US and the UK. I mean, what, what really became clear to me both in the United States and the United Kingdom uh, is the degree to which both those countries see it in their strategic long-term interest that Australia has this capability. Um, so we have enormous confidence in the commitments that have been made to us by uh, both the US and the UK governments are around uh, working with Australia to acquire this capability. Yeah, there are steps along the way um, and uh, we, we have thought this through in detail and it, it is going to be important for the US to be able to increase its rate of production in order to enable uh, there to be the space for Virginians to be transferred to Australia. Um, and I'm sure that as we go through what will be a multi-decade uh, program, uh, there are going to be moments that, that have their ups and downs, but the fundamental commitment 
to the strategic objective of Australia acquiring this capability is there and it is there in spades. And, and I am absolutely confident um, that you know across uh, the political spectrum in the US and the UK, also across the political spectrum here in Australia, this is a program that will be delivered uh, over the coming decades. This is for uh, both of you. Uh, maybe the biggest hole in Australia's industrial pursuit for AUKUS is nuclear expertise. Now I know people are being trained at the sub-school. Hmm. What about ANSO? Are you comfortable with its size? How much are you coordinating with them to beef up their technical expertise since they're supposed to be the main nuclear experts? Yeah, so ANSO is obviously a really important um, national asset um, and, and you're right that on this day it forms the heart of um, you know, most of the nuclear expertise that we would have in, in Australia. Um, we uh, obviously are, are working closely with ANSTO about the pathway that we are walking. Um, but, you know, we, and to be clear, you know, the reactors obviously will be uh, built in Britain. Um, we're talking about a sealed nuclear reactor which will not need to be open and serviced during the life of uh, its place within the submarines. That said, there, it, there definitely does need to be a significant nuclear capability that we grow for this country. Um, and so we're working with ANSTO, with our PANSA, the regulator, we're in the process of establishing um, a specific regulator for the naval nuclear enterprise um, and we are funding um, the, the courses, as I said earlier, uh, at a university level to build the expertise that we need. And as you rightly pointed out, we have um, Australian servicemen and women uh, at the Nuclear Propulsion School in the US right now uh, acquiring expertise and I, I think I'm right in saying they are doing really well. Outstanding, actually, Prime Minister. And Did Thank you, Minister. We've also got a, uh, a dozen uh, technicians also working over with Rolls-Royce in the United Kingdom. So we've already started this journey. For us, we, we talk about it in terms of technical mastery and professional mastery. Uh, in terms of operating and sustaining submarines, we already achieve world uh, benchmarks in terms of performance. The journey that we're on as a Navy is enhancing our understanding of uh, naval nuclear propulsion uh, and meeting the highest standards of Navy nuclear propulsion safety. That's within Navy, that's within the uh, Australian Submarine Agency and it'll be the central uh, plank for the Naval Nuclear Propulsion Regulatory Authority uh, when that is established uh, by the Australian Government. Uh, but we are absolutely alive to the challenges that lie ahead. Um, I would also highlight that we are fortunate to have a number of uh, nuclear qualified submariners in the Royal Australian Navy, a lot of them uh, lateral transfers from the Royal Navy in the past. So we're not coming off a zero baseline here. Uh, we're already on the journey uh, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to watching that capability grow over the coming years. Right. Retired General Peter Lay has given a fairly blunt assessment of your government's record on defence and says it's ripping the heart out of defence. What's your response? It's in the same vein. Shall I do the analogy yeah, yeah. with the toy shop again? <laughs> <laughs> um, great exhibitions, amazing technology downstairs, but Australia is not in a position to buy or commit to any of it. Will you look at lifting the defence budget beyond 2% GDP as the defence has been crying out for? Um, so, um, thank you for the questions. Um, I mean, firstly, the, the comments that we see uh, in the media today are just not true. Um, they're not true. Um, and, uh, and, and they really 
um, bear a pretty scant relationship to the truth. The fact of the matter is that since coming to power, um, we have not only committed and fulfilled the commitment of maintaining defence spending on the growth trajectory that we inherited from the former government, we've increased it by 10%. Uh, so whereas the former government uh, had defence spending going to 2.1% of GDP in 2032, we have now put defence spending on a pathway to 2.3% of GDP. So there is a significant growth in defence spending above the growth level that we inherited, even above the growth level that we committed to uh, at the last election. So you know, the comments that have been made are just plain wrong. And the fact of the matter is that when we came to power, you know, a full quarter of what defence was expected to procure in its future, there was no money for. And that's because the former government was in the habit of uh, announcing big programs without allocating any money to them, or certainly not the money needed to provide for those programs. Uh, you know, we had the Hunter program over time, over budget. Offshore patrol vessels over time, over budget. A revolving door of ministers which led to a lost decade in terms of our submarine future capability which gave rise to a capability gap which we have now filled. Uh, so that is the facts of what we inherited and the facts of what we are now doing. We are properly funding uh, the, the program for Australia acquiring nuclear powered submarines guided weapons so that we have a long-range strike capability. We've doubled the funding for that so that we actually are putting that on a meaningful trajectory where we will be manufacturing missiles in this country in two years' time, which is certainly not what was on the cards uh, previously. So the, the statements that are made are wrong. There are difficult decisions that we have made. And there are difficult decisions that we have made because we want to have a focused defence force which has the capacity to engage in impactful projection. Now, there was no serious strategic thinking about what our defence force was meant to do for a decade. And in focusing our defence force, there are difficult decisions and we make no apology for that. But the option is to let our defence force languish as it had been prior to us taking government. We are getting the defence budget back in order. We are funding it well beyond what we inherited and we are giving the defence force the focus it needs. What specific concerns about the uncertainty over naval programs specifically because of the review and also Army's uh, reduced ability to do certain tasks? We reduced infantry fighting vehicles from 450 uh, down to 127. Uh, we did that because there was no world in which uh, Australia would be able to take 450 infantry fighting vehicles beyond our shores. And we have made really clear what our strategic intent here is. We need to be able to project. We were not going to be projecting with those infantry fighting vehicles. Uh, and so former generals can you know, be sad about the fact that they can't drive those around Australia. The fact of the matter is we need a force which is able to project and we make no uh, apologies for the decisions that we've made there. But we've also got new capabilities. You know, we are properly funding uh, long-range strike. We are standing up a long-range strike brigade for the first time, which we've based in Adelaide, where our test ranges are, where our defence industry is. Um, it's a really significant step forward in terms of the lethality and the potency of the Australian Army. And it comes from doing the strategic thinking. 
Um, now, there, as I say, there are difficult decisions. And when you make a difficult decision, you'll always find somebody who will make a complaint about it. But we are not afraid of that because the fact of the matter is we had a decade of no decisions being made at all and Australia has faced a 10-year capability gap as a result of that. Thanks for joining us for this quick cast from the trade show floor at Indo-Pacific 2023. If you enjoyed this quick cast, please do tell others about it so they too can enjoy the content that we're presenting. We're also recording other content which will be released as full episodes later on this month and next. But for now, thanks very much for joining us and we'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative episode. The ADM podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Australian Defence Magazine, a YEFA media title. The views of the people appearing on this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Australian Defence Magazine, the Department of Defence or the guest's employer. If you wish to use any of the audio in this podcast, please contact Australian Defence Magazine via their website, australiandefence.com.au or via email at defmag at yaffa.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.